Good morning, Life Church Livonia. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad that you were here. We are wrapping up our Love by Design series. Alex talked about marriage, he talked about sex. These are super important topics. And the whole premise behind our Love by Design series is that God has an order to things. And we understand in this world, this very complicated world, how ovens work, how phones work, how cars work, but so often these areas that are super, super important to us, marriage and sex and intimacy, that they're just this mystery. There's no way to really understand them. And we believe that God has something really practical, really helpful, really tangible to say about them. And so we decided that we we're going to do a three-week series. And so today, um, I want to point you guys to our um, Facebook, to our YouTube, to wherever you look for your podcast listening. Uh, go and listen to it. Uh, check out Alex's messages on marriage and sex and catch up because God really uh, spoke through Alex. He really had a wonderful thing to say. Um, and I just really appreciate the way that Alex took a wide look at marriage and sex and helped us to understand what God's heart is behind these two very, very important topics. Now, today, I get the privilege of talking about intimacy. And in this day and age, we have a lot of misconceptions about what intimacy is. When you guys heard me saying that I was going to talk about intimacy, some people actually said out loud to me, well, we just talked about sex. And for those of you who uh, thought that, uh, intimacy is completely different uh, than sex. And so today I get to talk about it. Now, as we settle in to consider what intimacy is, I just want you guys to take a second and think about what do you think of when you hear the word intimacy? What comes to mind as you consider what intimacy is in your life or what you long for in your brain and in your heart when you think of that word. Intimacy is different than sex and it is different than marriage, but we often conflate them in our minds and in our actions to be the same thing or bigger than. And so today, I wanna settle in and have a conversation about what intimacy is. There are a lot of different methods that we use to achieve or interact with this concept of intimacy. And a couple of the extremes that I want to maybe focus on today or uh, offer as the extremes on the spectrum are um, people who avoid or are guarded against intimacy and then those of us who are maybe desperate and deeply desiring intimacy. These are two extremes of a token of people who still desire intimacy. So maybe there are single people who are listening who think that you can't have an intimate relationship with anyone unless you're dating or engaged or married. Maybe dating and engaged folks, uh, you're out there and you think that maybe once the wedding happens, that's going to be the ticket. That's when you're going to experience that deep, meaningful intimacy. Or maybe you're a married person and you're listening right now and you just are feeling so lonely, so lost, so unseen in your marriage that you believe something else is out there that might satisfy you better. Personally, I have had to do a ton of work surrounding intimacy. And if I'm honest, I still do. Um, what does it mean? How do I practice it? Why even have it in my life? 
What is it? How do I get intimacy? I've talked before about how I come from a divorced family and that affected my idea of marriage, but it also affected my experience of all relationships. My idea of how family works, uh, what is okay to accept in a relationship, what's not okay to accept in a relationship. What are boundaries? How do I not withdraw from people or uh, relationships? Or how do I not jump in and, and be so desperate in a relationship to just accept whatever somebody has to offer me? And as I prepared for this sermon, I had a couple of really extreme things happen in my life that challenged my view of myself and my view on uh, intimacy and how to navigate those situations really well, which is just the way it goes for people who are teaching something. You often experience the, the thick of fire <laughs> as you're preparing for a thing. And I'm jumping in here pretty, pretty uh, with both my boots, uh, obviously. So hang on as we're going to be doing this a little bit together today. So as I shared, my parents' divorce, it affected my understanding about what intimacy is. And maybe your family, you don't come from divorce, uh, but maybe your family's withdrawn and just kind of absent. Uh, maybe they're different in front of people than they are behind closed doors. Maybe you had a big, loud, intrusive family that was all up in your business because they just cared. They just really cared. They just wanted to be there, wanted to be all up in your stuff. Maybe they just overstepped regularly. However, what we see in scripture, we see that Jesus was neither married nor did he have sex, yet his life was full of intimate and meaningful relationships. So as we talk today, and I'm talking to myself here, I want to talk to all of us um, who are desperate for intimacy, those of us who are guarded and protective and don't want to show up. I'm going to talk to all of us here today, and I want you to take what you think of, what you thought of on the beginning part of this when I said, what do you think of when it comes to intimacy? And we're going to take that thought about intimacy and we're going to set it over here. Because as followers of Christ, what we want to do is we want to look to Scripture, we want to look to the Lord, we want to look to Jesus, and we want to model our lives after what God has called us to do. And this desire that we have for intimacy, God created us for it. In Genesis 1.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, I really love this verse. I think it's super powerful. And I would love to do a deep dive on it, but I won't. <laughs> I won't even go on a tangent at all. It's so good though. <laughs> anyway, essentially, I want to point out that the thread found in that text specifically is that it's not good for man, humankind, to be alone. You were made for intimacy. I was made for intimacy. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to read through much of John 4, and we're going to consider some of the ideas that I saw in the text. One, what is intimacy? Two, how does Jesus practice intimacy? And then three, how do we practice intimacy after observing and seeing how Jesus does it? So the first question is, what is intimacy? Intimacy is the connection that comes from being known, seen, and loved. 
This is a simple concept, but simple does not mean easy to experience or offer. Simple is different than easy because we're nuanced human beings and we've got experiences that often create barriers or challenges to doing this well. But that's why we're here together in a community of people so that we can grow, learn, fail, and forgive each other as we work through all of the things in this world that, that are broken and challenging and, and confront us with our humanity, that we wanna be reshaped into who God has called us to be. So I'm gonna jump in and I'm gonna go piecemeal through the text and I'm gonna read some of it and then we're gonna, I'm gonna talk a little bit about it. So in John 4 verses seven through 20, it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So some of you have heard this story before, so I want you just to hear it afresh, okay? Jesus and his disciples were um, traveling, and Samaria is this town, right? Here we see Jesus choosing to go through the land of the Samaritans. These are people who are in opposition to the Lord's will. So in about 1720 BC, the Assyrians had invaded the northern kingdoms of Samaria. They had captured and subjugated it. And through this process, the Samaritans began intermarrying with the Assyrians. And they had taken on practices of the day. They merged them with God's truth and they watered down godly practices. The Jews were aware of what they had been called to do. And the Samaritans went in opposition to that, okay? And so the Jews were vehemently opposed to interacting with the Samaritans. This quarrel, this fight was over 400 years old and hot as ever when Jesus made the decision to go through Samaria. So he could have chosen to go around it, but instead he chose to go through it. And so we see here Jesus is breaking down some of these ideas and ways of conduct. He's teaching his followers to be willing to engage. They had gone to the city to get food and supplies while Jesus stayed at the well, which is outside of the city, uh, to rest. So we see that this woman, the Samaritan woman, is shocked by Jesus's interactions. So here he is interacting with the Samaritan and a woman, no less. These two things, huge no-no. And then on top of it, this Samaritan woman was one of incredibly questionable character. The fact that she was on the well, she's at the well, on the outskirts of town alone in the middle of the day, says that she's avoiding people. She's avoiding her community. She's doing something that is very uncomfortable. This speaks to her being an outcast in her community. So we're gonna pick back up in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. So here, the woman is in disbelief, okay? Who do you think you are? This man is telling her that he has access to flowing water, not water that rises from the ground, but flowing water. And the difference here is that in that time period, flowing water from a stream or a river 
just had a higher chance of being healthy, uh, cleaner, purer, better. And this offended the woman because this water that she's going to draw uh, from the well is from her ancestors. And it provided life and health for the people, for the cattle. And here this stranger is claiming that he has access to a better water. Not only is he offending her with this statement, but he's also had nothing to draw water with. So she's just completely confused. She's completely offended. Who does he think that he is? It's as though she's blind to what Jesus is trying to communicate. And being blind to reality is such a common occurrence. We don't pay attention often. I can be blind in situations to what's going on. You can be blind to relationships or people or scenarios because you're just so consumed with uh, your delusion or your idea of thinking. I know that I can very easily. We passively walk around living our lives in a denial of how God is trying to get our attention, how he's trying to work and, and change us and meet us in, in what we're going through. So let's just keep reading and see the way that Jesus practices intimacy with this Samaritan woman. In verse 13, it says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water <laughs> so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So here Jesus takes away some of the mystery. He begins to describe and unveil what it is that he's actually talking about. See, people who were faithful or spiritual or attuned to the work of God would have, would have picked up on, okay? They would have been more aware of what he was saying. Um, but this woman, she just, she was so locked into her offense and so locked into this defensive posture that she had positioned herself with to, to protect herself or uh, to guard against um, whatever she had to protect herself against. We don't really know, but Jesus begins to break it down for her. He begins to pry and probe and point out and be open. Um... Oh, the other thing that I thought was so interesting about this, this is kind of a cultural uh, oddity. Um, in our culture, there's this term about being thirsty. It's vulgar. It's this lust and this desire that people live into about having this high sex drive, looking to sustain, sustain themselves sexually. You thirsty? And I have some curiosity if it stems from this verse specifically, because that would be really interesting. There's a lot, like the Good Samaritan, that stems out of scripture. Uh, this desire uh, for sex over a meaningful connection to the Lord is going to fulfill this longing and desire, but not with something that will last. As Alex always says, he says this all the time, it's filling a legitimate need that we have. This longing, this desire to be seen, known, and loved in an illegitimate way. And here, this woman is thirsty. We see her humorous contempt for what Jesus is telling her in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And I resonate with this so hard. When I first started my recovery journey, I was so mocking towards Jesus, towards people who love Jesus. 
And I thought people were foolish. I thought they were so uh, naive to the way that the world really worked. And I see this in this woman. She is known for having ongoing relationship dependence. She constantly used relationships to cope with her need and desire for intimacy. And Jesus points it out. In verse 16, it says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband. Tell him to come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus sees this woman. He knows everything about her. And this is where we see a scriptural example of what intimacy is to be seen known and loved in verse 19 the woman said to him sir i perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that in jerusalem uh, that in jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship this can seem like a little bit of a random thought to include and if you aren't familiar with the context and the culture of the time here she's being confronted with her Samaritan beliefs and the culture of the time and, and, and how the G Jewish beliefs collided. And she's thinking, dang, this guy knows something. He knows something about me and he knows something about where I should look for comfort, where I should look to worship. She's beginning to truly be open to seeing the Lord and seeing herself through a clear lens. I have wanted to preach about the woman at the well for a really long time because I really just resonate with her. I just think that uh, I, didn't, I didn't experience an outright rejection from my community because that's not really how our world works. Uh, but in the way that her story is told, She's grasping at these relationships to give her validation. She's grasping at them to give her worth and value. If only one of these people would see her, she could make it. She could find that connection that she longed for, to be seen, to be known, to be loved. And ever since the first time that I read this story, there was something that stood out to me. And as I prepared this message, I couldn't help but flash back to when I came to believe in the Lord. It was like a veil was lifted. It was like I could finally see the unworthy nature of who I was and how I lived. All my shortcomings just coming straight to light. All the ways that I tried to mask the things that I was feeling or experiencing, the ways that I saw intimacy, connection, love, my parents divorced when I was a kid, and it shattered me. It shattered my family unit. It shattered my understanding of what a healthy relationship should look like. I mean, I had dysfunction growing up, but nothing was as traumatic as the annihilation of that family unit for me. At this pivotal time of trying to figure out what meaningful and healthy relationships were supposed to look like, this place where I sought stability, it just completely blew up, okay? And as humans, we have this hierarchy of basic needs, okay? And you see, there's, this is the basic. This is just like food and water and shelter. 
Um, but a lot of my safety and security, that's health, employment, property, family, and social ability, and then love and belonging, friendship, family, intimacy, sense of connection. These are like foundational parts of what matters to us as a human uh, kind. And my safety and security and my love and belonging, they're missing. And I had so much loneliness. I was just completely lost, just frenetically grasping at uh, good grades and relationships and, and friendships and, and just anything to give me safety. I felt like I had no real friends, nobody who really knew me, no family there to really understand or see or love me. My family wasn't there for me, and it was as if I had no place to go for support. I didn't have a faith community to turn to, so I just learned to survive. I learned to just do what I needed to do to figure out how to take care of myself. And what I learned was that no one would be there. Everyone would leave eventually. And so I desperately sought to be seen, and yet I hadn't experienced it. And so this woman at the well, the same way that she experiences this veil being lifted. In 2008, I had that same veil lifted and I just felt so connected to Jesus through that story. Let's keep reading to see what she does next. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of this woman's testimony. She tells these people, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, I skipped a handful of verses in there, and one of them talks about how she left her water jar to run to the city, which is like leaving um, that, basic, that basic need of food, water, shelter. She left that to go and tell these people in the city who rejected her, her who, who she was af so afraid to talk to that she was going out in the middle of the day to this well. She left her water jar, her, her life, essentially, we see here that the Samaritan woman is in such a rush to get to the city and she gushes about this guy, this guy who knew everything that she ever did, spoke truth to her about the things that she had done yet. And this is so powerful to me. He did it in such a way that she was okay, not even okay, empowered to go back to the city to tell everyone. Now, why would she do that? Why would she do that about this, this place of herself that she was so embarrassed and ashamed by that she was hiding out in, in a well far away from these people? It says, he told me all that I ever did. Now, we don't know the exact details of the conversation. It's not in scripture. But she says, he told me all that I ever did. <laughs> and that's a lot. I don't know about you guys, but like, I did a lot of things. And if Jesus sat down with me, and I want you to think about it. If Jesus sat down with you, what are the things that you think that he would say? All that you ever did. These are details in a story that were so shameful. She didn't want to be around these people. 
even for a basic need of water. And we see the progression of this woman going to share about her experience with this man and the way people believed because of her faith. Imagine the transformation that, that had to have happened here. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then they go on to say they originally believed because of her, but now they believe because of their own experience with Jesus, not just her testimony and her sharing about Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning, okay? And you are in a lonely marriage. Or you're single and you're waiting in sadness and desperation for intimacy. Maybe you're recently divorced or recently separated and you're just grieving that you haven't had this kind of intimacy or that you're missing it right now. Maybe you're a teenager who feels lost and uncertain about how to experience intimacy God's way. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, we are asking ourselves, what do we do with this practically? How do we, how do we move forward now? How do we allow this example of the woman at the well to help us move into this more intimate uh, relationships? We're made to have intimacy, and so how do we do it? So when we look at the text and ask ourselves, how does Jesus do it? How does Jesus practice intimacy? We can see that Jesus does a couple of things. One, he reaches out to the woman at the well. He helps her look at her past. He helps her to take a look at her past so that she can be invited into a new future. And then three, her connection with the rest of the town flows from her newfound connection with Jesus. So then, if this is how Jesus practices intimacy, how do we do it? How do we practice intimacy? And I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest thing that you can do to experience intimacy is seek Jesus first. So often, the way that we develop and engage in our intimacy, uh, these, are, these are things that we've learned from our upbringing. These are things that we were taught as children. Like I talked about, my heart grieves for little Kate, who had no idea what to do or how to accomplish intimacy. One of the things that we talk about here at Life Church Slavonia is emotionally healthy spirituality. It's a standard study that we utilize, and a lot of these practices and principles are about knowing God that you might know yourself, utilizing the genogram tool, understanding how your family uh, history affects you today. We say things like family of origin, and that's all that we're talking about. We're talking about looking at your family, identifying, noticing, and naming patterns. Because when you do that, you can break those patterns and replace them with biblical truths and God's way of doing things. If intimacy is being seen and known and loved, then we have to allow God to see and know and love us. And this doesn't happen without working through really scary, often challenging concepts. So if you're a single person and you're listening to me and you are longing for intimacy, but you're looking to romance. Or maybe you're a married person and you're desperate for intimacy and you're looking for your spouse to fulfill it or you're looking for someone outside of your marriage to fulfill it. Or maybe you're a teenager and you're listening and you're just confused and you're depending on your peers to try to define what is healthy. Whatever station you're at in life and whatever age, there are some things that I want to recommend to you to consider doing today. 
there's that EHS, EHR principle that I talked about. Know yourself so that you might know God. Allow God to rewrite what is going on inside of you, but you have to understand it before you can rewrite it. And so journaling is such a great tool. Going back to go forward, just like Jesus helped the woman at the well to go back so she could be free, go to therapy. I've got a therapist, I've been seeing her for two years, uh, almost every single week, and she is spectacular. If you need help, if you need a resource, I am happy to connect with you. Please shoot me a message. I'd love to help you find a therapist that would be able to help you navigate that. And then the last thing is engaging community. If you are not in a small group, that is the one of the greatest ways to be seen and known and loved. It is so challenging and it will sharpen you, but I promise it is so helpful. Ultimately, we need to turn to God's word. We need to turn to God's truth to experience eternal intimacy, and we cannot, cannot find fulfillment outside of him. Just like the woman at the well was seen and known and loved and forgiven by Jesus, we too are seen and known and loved and forgiven. So what is your response today to the intimacy that God wants to have with you? We all fall short. We all need salvation. We all need help and rescuing. And God offered his son Jesus as atonement for us all to experience freedom. Join me in praying. Dear Lord, those of us who don't know you, I pray that you would help us experience your forgiveness today, that Jesus was a real man who lived a sinless and perfect life and that he died for us, that we might have deep and meaningful intimacy with you. And Lord, for those listening today who are making that decision for the first time, Lord, I just pray that you would equip them, that you would help them, that you would encourage them to surrender themselves fully to who you are, that they might know themselves and that they might know you, Lord, as their Savior. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. If you made a decision to take movement towards Christ today, please reach out. Let us know. Fill out the digital connection card. Comment in the comment section. We're so glad to be able to do life with you.